Today's scripture reading is going to come from a letter from the Apostle Paul to a pastor named Titus. So I invite you to turn over to the letter by this pastor's name. Titus comes right after 2 Timothy. We're going to take a look at chapter 1 together and we're going to read uh, the first nine verses together. The letter begins like this. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. This is the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. A uh, slight, ty- slight typo in the bulletin. My apologies, it's my fault. I did not catch it, but we do have Kingdom Kids today. So you uh, want to have your kids involved in Kingdom Kids, they're going to be right over here. And this is our ministry for those who have aged out of the nursery at four years old up through those who are in second grade. And so if they would like to be a part of our Kingdom Kids ministry, they can meet our Kingdom Kids workers over here. They're going to take them next door to our education building. And they're going to meet downstairs, parents, where you can pick them up after service today. So go by and grab your kiddos afterwards and come join us for a lunch and our business meeting, as Rosemary mentioned to you earlier. Uh, one quick word also, our local associations called Gamble Baptist Association will be having their annual meeting next Sunday at 4 o'clock, Okay. And so if you would like to go to that, please join us at FBC Nixon at 4 p.m. That's when we will have our business session. And that is where I'll be sharing with uh, our association a little bit about my life and my calling. And then they'll be voting on me as the director of missions for both the Gambrel and the Gonzalez Association, which together is called the South Central Baptist Area. And so if you would like to go to that and need to carpool, Check a little box on your connection card. Let us know you'd like a ride, and we will either find a ride for you or you can ride with us, and we'll figure that out. But we invite you to uh, make plans to be there. That'll go from 4 to 5, and then we'll have a meal from 5 to 6, and then from 6 to 7 we'll have a time of worship. And we're going to hear from one of our uh, wonderful preachers in our association, uh, Pastor Kevin Skinner. He is a pastor in uh, FB- at FBC Stockdale. I think last week I accidentally said the wrong town. We're going to meet in Nixon at First Baptist Church, but the preacher for the service that evening is Kevin Skinner from First Baptist. Uh, uh, did I just say Yorktown? Stockdale. I'm getting them all mixed up. I'm getting them all mixed up. 
Uh, I love that we sang this, uh, this last song, Lord, I Need You, uh, because, of course, we always need God, right? I mean, there's no moment in our lives where we don't need God. But there does seem to be times in our life where we acknowledge our need for God a little more, right? And, of course, our world is in such uh, one of those times where we see uh, evil and we see war happening in the Middle East, which is not necessarily uncommon to that part of the world, but is no less tragic as we see it unfolding. And so we say, we cry out to God, God, we need you, right? Um, we've had two unexpected deaths that have touched our, our church family. Uh, Johnny Deese, some of you know, was uh, tragically killed in a car accident. And then uh, Valerie Castillo, who has uh, been in and out of our church. They have their own ministry, but they've been uh, a part of our church family in, in, a, in a way and had their wedding ceremony here. I did their wedding not too long ago. And she had what it seems to be a stroke that uh, just did such damage to her body. I mean, she just could not recover. And she passed away either early this morning or late last night. I'm not sure which. And so there are these moments where we cry out and we say, God, we need you. Like we know that we need God all the time. But then there are those moments where we sense the need for him in a more acute way. And uh, you have your own stuff, right? You came in this morning and there's some things going on in your life. And you can most definitely say... This part of my life or this area of my life or this relationship or this situation, Lord, we need you. And then, of course, we're coming up against a transition and we anticipate that both of the associations will be voting. And, uh, and that will mean I'll take on a full-time director of missions position with our associations and our church will be in the midst of looking for a new pastor. And so when we are in that kind of transition without a leader, we need God, don't we? And, uh, and our search committee is, is going to be formed soon. You're going to be hearing more about that. Our two committee, our church council and our nominating committee has met. They've come up with a, a group of folks that they want to put before you and ask you to vote to be on that pastor search committee. And they're in the process of reaching out to those people and seeing if they would be willing to serve if called upon. And those names are going to be brought to you pretty, pretty soon here. And you're going to be needing to pray and say, God, I need you. I need your wisdom on, on who you would who you would want to be on this committee. And then you need to continue to pray and the committee needs to pray that, that God would be showing them, directing them to the right pastor for this next season in the life of our church. And so, so there's going to be moments where I know that they're going to be crying out to God, God, we, we need you. We need your help. We need your presence. We need your wisdom. We need your direction. We need your comfort and encouragement in our lives. And so for lots of reasons, I'm so glad we sang that song Music, God has given us a gift when he gave us music. He's given us a gift when, when he said, here's a way to worship me. You know, we worship God in so many different ways. Uh, and we're worshiping God now as we hear his word and we study his word. But we know that there's something powerful about worshiping God through song. And we just sang and reminded ourselves and one another of how much we need God. So let's go to prayer and confess that to him. Father God, we do need you. Our souls need you. We are broken by our own sin and we feel the effects of others' sins against us. We, we need you. God, for many of us and even in our season as a church, where there's uncertainty, where we don't know what's next, we need you because in you we can trust that you know what's next. 
God, in the midst of loss, we pray for Johnny Deese's family and Valerie Castillo's family. Just unexpected and an unimaginable grace that they need in the midst of loss. And they need you, Father. God, in our world today and the tragedies we see happening in the Middle East, and it's just hard to understand such evil. We need your justice. We need your hope. We need you. And for all the things that are happening in our individual lives, we come here this morning, and, and I think every one of us could confess there is some things going on. Maybe others don't see it. But in the quiet places of our heart, there's fear, there's anxiety, there's worry, there's anger, there's bitterness, there's envy and desires that we can't seem to quiet. God, we need you in those places too. But you're a God who shows up. You're a God who is present for those in need. You draw near to the brokenhearted, as the psalmist says. And we see in the person of Jesus Christ that you come near to us. That you do not shy away from our hurt and our pain, but you enter into it. And so when we cry, God, I need you, you say, I'm here. And I have what you need. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. We need your comfort. Most of all, God, we just need you. We need your presence. And in Christ, we have access to it. And so we give thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are wrapping up the third pastoral letter. Uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, or the other two. This is the Apostle Paul who is writing to some pastors in which he has raised up and trained for ministry. Uh, Timothy ministering in Ephesus, and as you read here, Titus who uh, is ministering in a very difficult place called Crete. It's a little island off of Greece. Uh, it's, it's, it's still got communities on it today. This is a real place, something that's worth mentioning when you read the Bible. This is not a fairy tale. This is uh, real people. And this is a real place, and this happened in a, in a real specific situation in time. And that specific situation is Paul has come out of prison, which we read about at the end of Acts 28, and while he's out of prison, evidently there is a fourth missionary journey he embarks on. The Apostle Paul was a missionary to share the good news of Jesus with Jews and Gentiles alike, but he had a specific ministry to the non-Jewish world, which sometimes is just called the Gentile world. And so Acts, the book of Acts, records the acts of the Holy Spirit through the work of the Apostles, spreading the gospel around the world. And we read in Acts that Paul went on three distinct missionary journeys. And then you get to the end of Acts and you find that because of Paul's testimony about Jesus, he is in prison. He's uh, under house arrest in Rome and he's awaiting his trial. He anticipates that he'll be set free. And he's right. He is set free. And so he strikes out on a fourth missionary journey. And we think because Acts never mentions the island of Crete and any gospel ministry taking place there under, under the Apostle Paul, that most likely this is, what, this is when that missionary journey takes place, is after Paul's arrest, 
on a fourth missionary journey that we don't really have recorded here in the scriptures. We just see what takes place after he's landed. He's raised up some Christians and, and, and there's need for leadership in the church in this place. And so he's setting all this stuff up. And then it turns out after Paul's missionary, fourth missionary journey, he is eventually arrested again, sent back into prison, and he does not get out. The uh, church history tells us, you won't find it recorded in scripture, but church history tells us that he was beheaded. He was beheaded and not crucified because unlike Peter who was crucified, again history tells us he was crucified upside down. He requested that because he did not feel worthy to be crucified right side up as Christ was. Again, this is history. This is not something recorded in scripture, but this is what church history tells us. That was the worst way to die, was to be crucified. Of course, we know that's how Jesus died. Uh, but Paul was a Roman citizen. And because you're, if you're a Roman citizen, you wouldn't be killed the same way a, a non-Roman citizen criminal would be killed. So he was uh, most likely beheaded. That would have been kind of the common practice in Paul's day if you were a Roman citizen. So that's kind of a little background to the story. But understand, Paul shows up in a very difficult place in Crete. Before he writes this letter, this, and we're going to talk about what he has to say to Titus, the pastor in the church, or the churches there uh, that Titus is kind of overseeing as pastor. Um, this is a very difficult area. Uh, if you've, have you ever heard the word Cretans before? You ever heard that? Is that a positive or a negative term? That's a negative term, right? Sometimes you, maybe, maybe you have uh, seen that transpire with your children. And you, you little Cretans, what are you doing, right? I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe they're little angels. I don't know. But that is a derogatory term. Isn't that amazing that that is actually named for a group of people who lived back in Paul's day on this island? They were Cretans living on the island of Crete. And they were known for their sinfulness. They were known for their, for their uh, sexual immorality. They were known for, for lying and for stealing and for just generally being really kind of a terrible group of folks in a terrible place to live. And Paul says, I'm going there. He goes to the worst places. And, and isn't that the gospel? That God will carry the message of grace to the worst of people? And while these Cretans were Cretans in every sense of the word, we can say, we, if you look in the mirror and you know yourself at all, you can say, yeah, I'm kind of in their boat. I don't know. I don't think I'm just a whole lot better than those Cretans. I think you could probably call me a Cretan. But the grace of God goes where the grace of God is needed, and the grace of God is needed everywhere. And so God sends forth his word everywhere. And so God sends Paul to the island of Crete to begin this work in the church. But there's trouble. <laughs> and uh, I remember one person saying one time, and I thought about it, I was like, oh, that's true, is that, you know, if it wasn't for trouble in the church, we would be missing half of the New Testament. Half of the New Testament is corrections about problems taking place in the life of a church. And while there is no, uh, our church is not perfect. Uh, it's the best church I've ever been in. Uh, I don't really want to go. I've already said that many times. It's just the will of God. And when God says go, you have to go. But it's not because I don't love being here. And you love being here. You know what I'm talking about. It's a wonderful church. No church is perfect though. And so every letter in the New Testament that is written to a church in trouble is still a letter for us to consider and say, God, what do you want to say to us? And so we want to approach the scripture and say, God, what do you want to say 
to us. Now, of course, I mentioned this as we were going through the other pastoral letters, is that it seems to me God has placed these readings, these passages of Scripture in our annual reading plan for such a time as this, to take the Old Testament phrase from the story of Esther, that, that God has placed this in our midst to consider these things as we anticipate the search for a new pastor as Marcia and I and our family anticipate an exit at the end of the year, right? We're anticipating those things. So it feels like to me as I read over is that God is doing something through these pastoral letters that is for our benefit. And so I want us to just lean in and hear what he has to say. What Paul says to Titus is, first of all, he says, listen, I left you there because there's trouble. I want you to go to set up good leadership in these churches because good leadership will deal with the trouble rather than brush the trouble under a rug. And so I've been in churches where that's the case, where there was trouble, long-standing trouble, and those troubles were just brushed under the rug. And it's no fun to walk in as a pastor and have to deal with those kinds of problems. The next pastor in our church is going to be super blessed because while there's always stuff you got to work on and always things that you got to correct or what have you, they're not going to have a huge mess because y'all have done such a wonderful job uh, discipling one another and loving one another and following your church leadership's direction and and just another reminder of how blessed we are to have so many wonderful folks on staff that are serving and a, and a great personnel committee to support them. Well, Titus didn't have all that stuff set up on the island of Crete. It was trouble. Now, that's a pretty new church. And so there was a lot of discipleship that had not taken place. They weren't a 160-plus-year-old church with strong history like ours. It was a very new church. Not only that, but we've already said the culture there was problematic, to say the least. The Cretans who lived there are the Cretans who ran the church. And so you would expect that there was going to be a learning curve, right? There's a way that you're used to doing things, and now we're following Jesus, and he calls us to live this way, not that way. And so they had to kind of get onboarded pretty quick. What does it look like to be Christians? What does it look like to be a church in the midst of a culture that rejects so much of what you believe? And we're learning fast what that's like, even in our own culture. And Paul's concern is the Cretan culture around uh, Titus and the churches on that island is seeping in. And there's false teachings being taught. And there's problems that need to be addressed. And Paul is trying to help them consider what does it look like to establish godly leadership particularly in the churches. And what does it look like then to follow that leadership so that the church can look more and more like Jesus? Uh, this is a common occurrence in our house, and I remember growing up, that whenever you got somewhere in public as a family, grocery store, or church today, I'm wondering, how many of you had this conversation? If you've got kids or grandkids with you today, how many of you had that conversation? What do you say? When we get in here, we're going to behave, right? When we get in here, it's not, I, I, my kids know this phrase, isn't, we're not at the playground. We're not at the playground, okay? Right? You have those conversations, right? We're going to act right. That's what we're going to do. We know what acting wrong looks like, but today, for an hour... Please, or you're grounded for life, 
We're going to behave, right? There's a connection with belief and behavior. And if you were to say the, the letter to Titus is about something, I would say the letter of Titus is about belief and behavior. Paul is addressing both. He's not just saying to Titus, make sure they behave, though he does say that. He also says, make sure their beliefs are accurate. He's very concerned about what they believe. You see what he says in verse 9. He's talking about, you know, you're going to set up new leadership in these churches. My understanding is when Paul talks about elders, it's uh, pretty much uh, interchangeable with the term pastor. In fact, you'll find the term elder far more than the term pastor. Over the years, we've kind of just settled into pastor in a lot of Baptist churches like ours. Nothing wrong with that. Just understand that when Paul talks about elders, I think he's talking about the same thing as when he's talking about pastors. And look at verse 9. What does he say? He, meaning the elders of the church, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. What is he saying? What the pastor believes matters. What he embraces matters. It's of the utmost importance that these new churches on the island of Crete, that they have leadership that are following the truth. And if you've read through the book of Titus, you know what I'm talking about. He mentions this over and over. He uses the word teach a lot. He talks about sound doctrine in several places. He says it's really important that what you believe aligns with the word of God. Now, if I go to the gas station today and I try to put diesel into a gas vehicle, what is going to, what's going to happen? Now, somewhere along the way, whoever makes the pumps figured out these idiots need help, right? And I'm so thankful because I've almost done it. I've almost done it, y'all. You know, you're, you're off in la-la land. You're thinking of a million different things. All of a sudden, you look up and say, why won't this fit in? What is the problem? Because you're holding the diesel pump and your car is gas, right? Someone made that vehicle. Someone made it to run on gas or diesel, Right? And if you don't run it the way it's supposed to be run, if you don't put the right fuel in, you're not going to get to where you want to go. And it's the same thing with God. God has made us. He has designed us. There is a way in which we are to operate. And if we say, yeah, God, I know you made me to run on gas, but I kind of like diesel. I'm going to put diesel in. And then our lives are a wreck and we wonder why that is. Because God has called us to live a certain way. And when we go against God's good design for us, there will be problems. And see, a pastor has an outsized effect on the life of congregation when it comes to knowing, believing the truth. And so it's super important for us as a church as we embark on this journey. And whoever ends up on the committee and you as a church goer and church member have a part to play. That you find a pastor who believes in the truth of God's word. It's important to ask them, search committee, if you're on it, you'll, you'll know in a, in a few weeks when we vote. But if you end up on it, it's important to ask the pastor. Not just if his wife plays the piano, because that really doesn't matter. That's usually a question pastors get asked, for real. I'm not kidding. You know, 
it's important not just to ask them, what are your strengths and weaknesses? That's always a question you get asked almost in any interview. Ask them, what do you believe? It's a primary concern for you as a church to ask your leadership, whether it's deacons or ministers or pastor, what do you believe? I know of a church right now that's in a hot mess because they did not ask that question in the midst of a search committee meeting. I, I just, and it blew my mind. And I thought, well, Paul is so clear. You're, you're calling elders to this role. They need to have sound doctrine. So you need to ask those questions, church. What do they believe? How we behave matters a lot. But often enough, how we behave is informed by what we believe. That there's roots of belief in our life. That we only know those beliefs sometimes as I peer out into others' lives. I only know what they believe because of the fruit of their action. But those roots are deep. And from the same root, you will get the same fruit. You cannot help it. Whatever you believe is going to come out in how you behave. And so Paul says, as you are considering, Titus, the elders to leave these churches, they need to have sound doctrine. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Titus 1 verse 9. Church, you need to be praying for a pastor who believes the word of God is the word of God. That it's true, even when we don't like it. That it has authority in our lives, even when we have different opinions. I'll tell you, there's stuff in the Bible I would change until I really think about it and realize God is much wiser than me. And then I come to the same conclusion that, you know what, I really wouldn't change it. But in my own human thinking, there's times I've read things in the Bible and thought, oh, I, I don't know about that. I don't really like that so much. Sometimes it's there. Sometimes I have that experience because I haven't studied it enough to understand it fully. And sometimes it's just my own limited thinking. And I have to bend my will to God's word. That's what every Christian has to do. I'll say what I said a couple weeks ago is that whatever a pastor is supposed to be, that's what you're supposed to be too. The, probably the only difference is a pastor does need to be able to stand up and teach and preach God's word. Everything else that you read, that we read together in, in Titus chapter 1, all those other qualifications, that's just like standard Christian living that all of us should be aiming towards. And the pastor should exemplify that to set a good example for his church family. So what we believe influences how we behave. And as a church... We need to be asking those harder questions as you look at candidates, as you consider people. What do they believe? Primarily, what do they believe about salvation through Christ alone? And what do they believe about the scriptures? Do they believe it's God's word and it's holy and inerrant and it informs, it, it directs how we should live? But then the second part of Titus is really about this hard work of pastoring. That there's some things a pastor is supposed to do that, that, is, that is sometimes difficult and challenging. Uh, they're supposed to teach sound doctrine, but they're also supposed to correct when that sound doctrine, when people's beliefs are off and their behavior is off, is the pastor's duty, not him alone, don't misunderstand, congregation as a whole is involved in this kind of stuff, 
But he has an outsized responsibility to hold the church to the beliefs and the behavior as outlined in Scripture. And that can be a very difficult job. It can be very hard to say to someone you care about, I'm concerned about your life. I see these things and I'm worried. Or to have conversations like, I know this is going on and we've talked about it, but nothing's changed. And that means this, this, and this. I've had those conversations. Those are the the lowest and, and most unpleasant things I've ever had to do as a pastor is correct someone. Or to remove someone from a leadership role because of their life. It, it, it's gut-wrenching. I remember all of it. There's a lot of good things I have forgotten, but those hard moments I will never forget. It is very difficult. So what I want to encourage you to do is think about, from the letter of Titus, let's, let's think together about what it would look like to be a congregation that makes that hard part of a pastor's job just a little bit easier. What would it look like to open up ourselves and say, I'm willing to follow godly leadership. I'm willing to let someone speak into my life and correct my beliefs, correct my behavior. In fact, I want that. I want that because I want to live like Jesus. And if there's something I'm believing that's leading to bad behavior, I want that pointed out. Because I want to honor God with my life. Let's look together at what Titus has to do. This is some difficult stuff. Paul is teaching Titus, or reminding Titus at least, that there's some things you're going to have to do that aren't pleasant. He says you're going to have to refute those who oppose sound doctrine. We read that already in verse 9. Some are not going to receive that rebuke. And so he says in chapter 1, verse 11, he says you're going to have to silence them. You cannot give them a place to speak or to teach, or to have authority, because their beliefs and their behavior are so off. He says in verse 13, if they keep pressing the issue, it seems that that's kind of what he's saying, if they keep pressing the issue in verse 13, he says, uh, middle of the verse, therefore rebuke them sharply. There's a place in the life of the church for a sharp rebuke, however unpleasant it is. Titus is saying you can't turn away from that. He says in verse 15, uh, to encourage, yes, but he also says, these then are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Lastly, you read one of the most challenging verses, I think, in all of Titus. In verse 10, you read uh, the direction from Paul to Titus. That he is to warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. These are hard things for a pastor to do. I've had to do them. Very unpleasant. Gut-wrenching, really. This is stuff that keeps you up at night. It improves your prayer life, so that's the upside. But there's not a lot of other upside other than the hope that doing those hard things will lead to those who love the truth and live the truth. That doing those hard things, and and, and I don't think it's something a new pastor in our church is going to have to do all the time. Praise God. I don't think he's going to have to do this all the time. But there is most definitely going to be some moments where where a pastor is going to have to come to someone and say, 
this is out of alignment. I heard you teach this, and I don't know that it aligns with the truth of God's word. And my encouragement to you as a people is to not love being right. Not to love your ego. That you would love Jesus more than those things. And because you do, you are willing to hear from someone who cares about you. Who wants to see you walk in the truth. To believe rightly and behave rightly. Because, and here's the final thing. When you read, the, when you read Titus as a whole, what you're going to see in the middle, in like chapter 2, uh, is Paul is saying to Titus, this matters because you have a witness. You have a witness in your community. How you live, which is informed greatly by what you believe, is going to have an impact on the gospel witness that you seek to share with others. So who your leader will be and how you will follow, it will have a transformative effect on the community around you. When they think of your church, when they think of our church, what will they think of? They'll think of those in the church that they know. They'll think about what they know that they believe. They'll think about probably primarily how they know they behave. And that can open them up to the gospel. Or it can close them down from the gospel. And we want people to be open to the gospel. Because what is the gospel? The gospel is good news. We want people to be open to the good news. We want people who are willing to hear that, yes, there is bad news. We are sinners. But there is good news. We have a Savior. We want people to hear that. We don't want them to be clouded by how we live. We don't want to be a stumbling block. We, want, we don't want to stand in the way. We want our lives to magnify Christ in to the world around us, to the watching world around us, to our community, to our neighbors, to our co-workers and our classmates. We want the way we live. When someone hears that we're a Christian, that they're not just totally shocked. Are you kidding me? So-and-so is a Christian. They don't act like it. That's a barrier. We don't want that, right? Paul says this very clearly in chapter 2, all over and again, that how you live will have an impact on your testimony. From the leadership to the membership, how we live has an impact on our testimony. And if that is our desire, is that we would help open the door for the gospel and not close the door, then how we live should matter to us. And it should open us up to say, God, if you want to correct me, if you want to use my Sunday school teacher, if you want to use a deacon, if you want to use a sister in Christ in the church, you want to use my friend in the church, you want to use a pastor or one of the ministers on staff at the church, you want to use someone to correct me, God, send them my way because I want to look like Jesus. I want others to experience Jesus when they experience me because I want that door of the gospel to be wide open because what Jesus said is true. There is no one who comes to the Father except through the Son. There is no salvation outside of Christ. And we want... All who hear the gospel to have the very best chance to respond to the gospel. And we don't ever want to stand in the way of that. Let's pray together.
Father God, thank you for your word and for the challenge that you gave through Paul to Philemon. God, we need this challenge ourselves. Help us to respond to this. God, I pray for those who, who maybe their being here is a miracle because they've had so many bad encounters with Christians. That it is by sheer grace that your Holy Spirit has drawn them to this place today. God, and, and, and I just pray that the love of Christ shown to us in his death and the power of Christ to save shown to us through his resurrection. Now that that would overshadow any negative experience they've had. And they would see that they do not put their hope in people. But they can put their hope in you. And that they would. And I just pray for us as a church, Father. Help us to examine our lives and our hearts. Help us to see where we're off, where, where we're thinking wrongly or we're living wrongly. Where we're off in our belief or our behavior. And, and God, that you might use others to correct us in that so that we can be the very best witness to the world around us. And we can honor you more and more with our lives. And finally, Father, I just pray for us as a church as we enter into this season of searching for the man you have to take on the wonderful and blessed role of being a pastor to an, an amazing church family. Guide us as we seek to choose a committee to represent us in that work. Guide us as they do that work. And guide us as we make a final decision on the next pastor. God, you've given us all that we need. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You've given us one another. We have all that we need to live to please you. And for this, we give thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me?